That was a weird opening of a beer can. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, welcome to Living Off the Land. This is episode 252. Appreciate you guys checking in and listening. I'm Dan here along with Steven. And Steve, it's Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night, and you know what that means. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but uh, it's LTL, and we have a very packed show for you tonight. We've got... Heck of a lot going on in the sports world, um, not just the Cavaliers, but also the beginning of the MLB season, uh, which begins tomorrow, mm-hmm. as well as the lead-in to the NCAA Final Four, among other things. And Dan is slurping over there. What's going on here, Dan? Oh, I'm just drinking the beer of the week. And uh, we've got a non-Cleveland, non-Ohio beer tonight as the beer of the week. And it is... Excuse me. It is the peanut butter milk stout from Left Hand Brewing Company, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. Hmm. So we are deep in the heart of the Rockies uh, with uh, Left Hand Brewing. Um, Peanut butter milk stout. I've had their normal milk stout, which is a very famous beer um, by them. But I saw the peanut butter version, and I was like, I need to try that. Uh, What's his nuts? Peanut butter... Uh, vanilla coffee porter, whatever it is from uh, Saucy Brewworks, is one of my favorite beers. So I definitely wanted to try another peanut butter stout that I saw, and this one was from Left Hand. Uh, if you know anything about Left Hand, like I said, they're they're very popular for their milk stout, and uh, this is the peanut butter version. And on Beer Advocate, I'll just go ahead and uh, go over there. Uh, actually. I did not have that up. Here we go. It gets a 85 score, which is a very good. 6.2 ABV. Uh, average uh, average uh, reviewer uh, rates it a 3.79 out of 5. And it is a rich milk chocolate. Rich milk chocolate notes team up with peanut butter. Peanut buttery perfection for a deliciously delicious dark duo. And uh, I gotta say, it's very good. Not not as peanut butter forward as you might think. Um, certainly not as much as the Saucy Brewers um, similarity or similar uh, style as this. But uh, this is very good. I like the can with uh, all the uh, the peanut butter cups on it. Uh, pretty cool. It's got the iconic left hand brewing logo with the silhouette of the left hand and uh it's just a very good beer uh, wham i'm with the left hand <coughs> wham it with the left hand today apparently mm. uh so this is very good i'm enjoying this very much uh i'm gonna go ahead and rate this a 7.2 7.2 7.2 so very good mm-hmm. uh shout out to left hand uh for making this very good beer so that is the beer of the week all righty then well, this is episode 252, so this was an easy call for me in terms of where to go for a better know a neighborhood tonight. This yep. is a place we haven't discussed previously. Dan, I think, already knows where I'm going to go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Route 252, Ohio Route 252, runs directly north-south through this neighborhood. And it is a mostly rural-ish, uh, but kind of exurban-ish uh, type of an area. This is on the just outside Cuyahoga County in the very extreme east side of Lorain County. And it is the neighborhood they call Columbia Station. So when I did, this was actually, I thought, going to be one of the easier researches I had to do, but I found out something pretty interesting that I didn't know about Columbia Station before uh, we just went on the air. Hmm. Uh, we talk about the, you know, the demographics and the, you know, economic strata of a lot of these places, and I've always thought of Columbia Station, again, as, as somewhat rural, somewhat exurban you know, by that I mean like kind of on the fringes of the metro area. Uh, but, you know, you see a lot of farmland out there, and, yeah, you'll see a new housing development every so often, but, you know, it's it's still pretty spread out. I mean, there's rules on you within this area that you can't, like, there's not small lots to build on. You have to have a lot of, I think it's like an acre and a half of land each, you know, if you're not in, like, specified development area. And even, the, even on those kind of streets, you have a long way between houses, but, they are pretty large, and perhaps I didn't consider that because the – Dan, take a guess. What do you think the average home price is in Columbia Station? Oh, God, I have no idea. 250000 See, that's what I would have thought, you know, <coughs> middle class roughly. Try $478,000. Really? According to Realtor.com. That is obscene. That is like on a level with like Beachwood, Gates, Mills, and Avon. Well, I think That's maybe massive. I think maybe what you have there is Columbia Station has become over the last decade or so maybe a um an area of a lot of new builds. Yes. And that's probably what's um contributing to the elevated house, uh, house price. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, you just go off any of the main roads like Station Road or Boston Road or uh, Route 252, and you just go down these roads, and they're just little concrete roads. Like they even have curbs in most cases, but boy, the houses and back in on on some of those streets are just massive. And you again, because they're bigger lots, you have all this land to just kind of you know do whatever you want back there, and it's 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 pretty awesome actually if you can if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbia Station is also great for a couple of other reasons, namely that it is a playground if you like golf. Oh, yeah. uh, just across the border from Strongsville, you have two prominent courses. Uh, Hickory Nut Golf Course, a.k.a. the Fabulous Nut. The Fabulous Nut. Uh, just right off of Route 82. And then just pretty much on the other side of the street, uh, Royal Crest Golf Club, which, again, is right on Route 82, just across the border from Strongsville. That's one of the home courses. Yep. We've played that one quite a few times. And, <coughs> you know, it, we joke about it sometimes. It's great to play this course in the spring. It may not be so great in, like, August because – you know they notoriously don't water the fairways, but yeah. other than that, I mean, the, th- the par threes are actually pretty challenging on that course. You have like three par threes that are almost two hundred yards or long. Over. Yeah, yeah. you're you're pulling that. out. I hate long par threes. You're pulling out five and three wood off the tee on some of these. It's like oh boy, but um, yeah, Hickory Nut's a little. Uh, Royal Crest is really wide open. Hickory Nut, they, there's a lot more tree coverage, so you you can't just cut every. Um, Cut off every dog leg known to man, like you can on Royal Crest, but uh, you know, still two pretty pretty fair tests of golf. And then um, 
over on the other side of town, just across the border into actually technically into Eaton Township, but near the end of the border, you've got two other courses, Creekwood Golf Course, which is on the northwest side off of Root Road, and then Mallard Creek Golf Course, which is just a little ways further down Route 82, uh, just across the border into Eaton Township. And then uh, uh, R.I.P. Dorlon. Yeah, Dorlon <laughs> was uh, down Station Road a little ways from Route 82, and um, the owners actually sold that place off, I think, Think either just before the pan, just before the pandemic hit, I believe. Uh, the Lorain County Metro Parks actually took control of that property, and they wanted to turn it into a parkland. But to date, I have not seen any work hmm. uh, done toward that goal. So um, I don't know if that's still in the works or if that will eventually happen. But uh, they technically own the land, so it might. Um, speaking of parkland, there is one pretty prominent metro park in Columbia Station. That's just to the south of Route 82 and just uh, in between Columbia West River Road and Route 252. That's the Columbia Reservation. And that stretches for about a good two miles along the Rocky River uh, West Branch, which, um, again, runs in between Columbia Road and Columbia West River Road. And as you're going down through that corridor, you actually have a couple other places of interest. Um one of them is the Columbia, well, on either side I'll go. Uh, one is the Columbia Ballroom, which is almost like your old-school party center that looks like a barn from the outside. Um, there, That's something that's sort of come into vogue. You see, that, like, Mapleside and Brunswick built one of these, and there's a few others in the area. But this one's been around for a long time. Recently renovated, though, right? Yes. I, I believe. In, yeah. Indeed it was. And it's, it's a very highly rated uh, facility, actually. Um, you know, it's cool. You know, no frills or anything. It's it's just a gravel parking lot and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, definitely a good place to spend. If you ever get invited to an event there, you should definitely go. It's uh, it's a good time. A um, little ways further down from that, you have the Red Wagon Farm, and then the the Rockin' R Ranch, which actually becomes a spooky ranch during the Halloween season. Uh, these are two kind of just outdoorsy places. If you're like into going to you know, apple picking or during season or, you know, pumpkin patches and stuff like that. Uh, Red Wagon Farm and Rocky Nile Ranch are two uh, good places for that. Both of them, again, just right off of Route 252 in, in Columbia Station. Um, so, again, that that's some of those uh, legacy-type businesses that kind of appeal to more of the rural aspect of, of the area, which it's still, again, when you talk about the suburban, you know, we— some people use the word sprawl, you know, it's kind of a negative word. Like you hear that a lot in places like Avon and now you're hearing it in North Ridgeville too, which is a little further North, but uh, you just don't have that in Columbia station. This is an area that has really retained its character over Mm -hmm. the years. And uh, it's definitely a place that a lot of people can appreciate. And Hey, people are beating down the door to get into this area. You know, I mean, 478,000, I'd have to look back and, and compare that with places like Beachwood and Avon. I swear it might even be higher than that. That's yeah. that's amazing. I never would have expected that. But uh, yeah, I mean that that pretty much covers it. Most of the remainder of the area again is just farmland, or you know you have some random industrial businesses out there as well. But uh, you know there, a lot of them are along Route 82, and then some of them are actually down toward Boston Road, toward the south part of town. But uh, I would be actually amiss not to mention Columbia Hills Golf Club, which, ah, yes. which is the private club and. This was actually my first, I wouldn't say first real job. Technically, that was at the Rio Bravo Cantina in Strongsville, but this was the, the first one where I actually, like, 
was a little bit invested in what I did. I was actually a caddy at this club for a year in 2005. And oddly enough, this is funny, the, um, one of Matthew's good friends, actually, when he was growing up, um, his dad was a member at this club, and I actually caddied for him on three different occasions. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was not brought back the next year was because um, some of these people here, well, a lot of them are great, but some of them were the, you know, if you think of the movie Caddyshack, you know, and, and some of the other, the more, you know, competitive, really kind of stuck up kind of folks. Well, my problem was one of them would hit a really bad shot. I couldn't stop laughing. Oh my god! <laughs> I was really just like I just like I was like, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's just like it's about to modify the occupational qualification of being a caddy. You just can't do that, and I just I, I, could, I couldn't do it. So I could not keep a straight face. There was one hole that was my particular downfall. It was hole fifteen. It was a par three. You know, like down the valley and then up and then like the the green severely slopes. You know, on the other side of the hill. And every single time we got up to this hole, I, if I, I saw that there was a red flag for the front pin placement, I was like, okay, I'm not getting tips today. <laughs> because every single time somebody would put the ball on the green above the hole and they would putt down toward that hole location, half the time they were putting it off the green. <laughs> oh, no. And I would just be watching it go, and it would just be in slow motion. It would just keep going and going and going, and I'd just, like, it'd be... Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh just gosh! Couldn't do it. <laughs> the funny thing is, I can I can I can actually picture you doing that. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> I have a notoriously bad, um, very bad at keeping a straight face. This is why I can't play poker professionally. Even though like, I could, you know, I know all the combinations and know all the the ways to play, basically. But uh, people could just tell me from a mile away. So, <laughs> you know. I feel like if you were to ever do that, you'd have to wear like a ski mask and sunglasses <laughs> or something like that. You'd have to just completely cover your face. During COVID, maybe that would have worked, but yeah. unfortunately, we're not in those days anymore. So Yeah, but playing <laughs> playing poker virtually? <laughs> well, I mean, did that World for a World Series long... of Poker through Zoom. We did that for a long time back when like poker stars and all those like betting sites were there, but then the, the government shut it down, so it was like, oh, well, heck. Yeah. Yeah. But we're getting way off the track here. Anyway, that's Columbia Station, and you can wham that with the right hand. Wow, that was an obnoxiously long yawn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I apologize. Holy smokes. Was that segment that boring? No, (laughs) no, I I did not. uh, So, uh, full disclosure, I had had a couple bets last night in the late NBA games, and, of course— uh, one of them wasn't decided until basically the very last shot of the game. So I didn't go to sleep last night until like one thirty in the morning. How much money <laughs> do you have on that one? Uh, twenty five. Oh man, I wouldn't have even stayed up for that little. <laughs> Whoa, you're apparently high roller. I'm thinking if I, if I'm staying up past like one a.m., it's got to be like at least three digits for me to care. Whoa, to stay up that late. Whoa, <laughs> oh, boy, it's a good thing that you're not betting. <laughs> right. That, yeah. This is the reason why I have not downloaded. Now, when we get to football season, I'm going to have to do it. But yeah. for now, I'm I'm just I'm staying on the sidelines of the sports betting <laughs> thing. I just 
Well, my bets did hit last night, so staying up was indeed worth it. Okay, so, well that's good. So yeah, so I had uh, I had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Trey Murphy to combine for ten made three pointers last night. I think they combined for about like nineteen, so that one hit. And then my other one was uh, Clay Thompson, fifteen points. Brandon Ingram, 20 points. Steph, 25 points. Steph and Brandon Ingram hit that in early in the third quarter. Klay Thompson did not score his 15th point until there was one minute left in the game. Oh. <laughs> so I was up sweating that one. Oh, man. So, And that was a plus 150, so 25 bucks plus 150. Uh, was it 37.50 payout? Yeah. Nice. So it was a 62.50 uh, total, you know, getting your 25 back, but – but uh, so did that. That's why I'm uh, I was up late, and that's why I'm yawning right now. So it'll probably be an early night for me tonight. So not not mm-hmm. long after uh, we get done recording this. As soon as we sign off here, <coughs> time check. But anyway, fifty one right now. Anyway, let us let's see. Do we want to do? Let's do the week that was. Yeah, with the Cavaliers. Let's talk about that because into, there are some. F- we can this get was into a v- our MLB preview after that. This was on balance a good week for the Cavaliers. They went two and one. They they uh, defeated well, Brooklyn on a wait, dagger three pointer late. Let's talk about what they did accomplish, ladies and gentlemen. For the first time in twenty five years, a non LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers team will be in the NBA playoffs. First time since nineteen ninety eight. It's night the night I think ninety seven ninety eight season. Yes. Uh. You know, I hate saying it that way because it's almost like, what, are we not supposed to include the LeBron James teams? Uh, like, it, it's our fault that LeBron played for our team for 11 years. It's almost like when you find out later that a team cheated and, like, I had to vacate all yeah. of those. Had that, like, oh, God, could you imagine? That would be so Cleveland if we if we got caught doing something nefarious and we had to vacate the title. <laughs> God. That's never happened in NBA history, I don't believe. Has that ever happened in pro sports? In any U.S. pro sport? I don't believe it has. That's like, it happens in the NCAA sometimes. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Yeah, so uh, congratulations to everybody over at One Center Court, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, at the Romo Fijo. Uh, Cavs, uh, we are 49 and 29. Is our record, yeah, after the loss last night, which we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, Cavs are on pace for a 50-win season, which we talked about last week. They are pretty much, with the loss last night, they are pretty Pretty much much locked locked into the fourth. If they had won last night, uh, things could have gotten interesting. They would have only been a game behind Philly for third. Yeah. Which would have really, yeah, which could have possibly, and, that that could well, have been spicy. Essentially, two games because Philly does hold the tiebreaker over us. But, but yeah, from from a standing standpoint, yes. Um. Yeah, I, I, look, last night's game notwithstanding, I think the Cavs are playing their best basketball they've played all year. Uh, over these last couple weeks, um, you just mentioned the uh the Brooklyn game where the Cavs were down by eight with like less than two minutes left in that game. Yeah. And came back and won. Brooklyn fell fret on their face Yeah, at the end of that game. But the final sequence was just so comedic. You know, Donovan Mitchell must be the best player in the league at intentionally missing free throws and getting his own rebound. You I don't think know he intentionally how, missed that? I don't know. I think he did. Are you sure? I, I do think he meant that. 
actually, because he was already leaning in like over the line, like he was like thinking it was going to be a miss. Maybe he didn't intentionally mean it to begin with, but I think he knew it was, was going to be a mess. Well, okay, maybe that. What was the score at that point? Were we, were we down by one or two? I believe we were down two. Okay, that would make sense. At that time. But there was there was like 10 seconds left, I think. Um, yes. So at that point, you could probably still make it, go down by one, and still play the foul game. We thought we could do that last night, uh, and then Darius Garland brain farted, and we didn't. So... Hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I honestly didn't even think twice about whether he intentionally missed that free throw. But now that you mention it, maybe he did. And then the putback attempt was right. Th- I mean, I'm sure he meant to make the putback attempt and he missed. Yeah. But you know, then and it was funny when he missed the putback attempt. You could tell he was he was laying on the ground. He had his head. He had his hands on top of his head. So he he thought the game was over. Yeah. And then he saw that Karis Levert picked up the long rebound, and then he got up. And then uh, Levert, uh, you know, the uh, dribble drive and the the kick out to uh, Isaac Coral for three. Man, talk about just, you know, it's one of those things where it's such a frantic situation that the I, I feel like the reason Isaac Coral made that shot is because he just didn't have to think about it. It was such a frantic situation. Levert got missed free throw, missed putback. Levert gets the rebound. And you, you're, he's probably not ex- – even though he was calling for the ball, he I can't, I can't imagine not expecting he was expecting to, to actually it. get it. Yeah. And then he's just like, all right, well, let's, let me just put it up. You know? Yeah. It, it w- I feel like 10 out of 10 times he wouldn't have made that shot if that was a play that was actually drawn up for him. Yeah, because then you have to think about it before. Because <laughs> then you're thinking about it. You know, you got the inbounds yep. pass. You're like, okay, I, I'm supposed to be in the corner. My feet inbounds. Like, like – I'm not touching the the three-point line, you know, uh, who's defending me, blah, blah, blah. Is everything working beforehand? This was just like, you know, you're doing everything haphazardly. And uh, like I said, um, it was just something that just, you know, organically happened because the ball, everybody was running around. There was nobody within 30 feet of Isaac Okoro, so the Nets were just scrambling on defense. And of course, if you're a Nets, if you're a Nets player, that's the last guy you're going to run out to guard. Exactly, in that situation. exactly. But hey, that's not taking anything away from Isaac Okoro. Hey, the dude hit a game-winning shot. In it wasn't a buzzer beater, but a game-winning shot, pretty much in an NBA game. Yeah, on the road. That was pretty cool. Yep, that was pretty cool. And of course, we had the clinch a few days later against Houston. That was also cool. Yeah. The game in Atlanta last night, Cavs didn't look great for much of it. It came back late. As the great Carlito Caribbean Cool says, that's not cool. Not cool at all. And, you know, Atlanta just seems to be the perennial <laughs> banana peel for the Cavs. They just they, they cannot seem to, especially in the regular in Atlanta, season, they cannot beat the Hawks. In and the regular season. Yeah, I mean, we're talking post LeBron 2.0 era here. Yeah. This, you know, I don't think we've won in Atlanta since LeBron. Left. I don't think we have. I really don't think we have. And let's not forget, Atlanta kicked us out of the playoffs last year thanks to that stupid play-in tournament. Yep. So, yep. Thankfully, we're not going to be involved in that this year. Atlanta will actually have to deal with that again. It looks like because they're the eighth seed right now. That'd actually be kind of ironic if they got kicked out this year in the same situation. But. So anyway, the Cavs are full steam ahead. It looks for the playoffs. Um, yeah. would, now that it seems like like we're pretty much locked into the four seed, 
Would you start resting, guys? Now, obviously, last night, uh, Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro did not play due to injuries. But would you, you know, maybe stagger Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell? You know, one one guy plays one night, the other guy plays the next night for the for the final few games. I think if if I were to do this, the next the next two games, you play the Knicks next. I think you have to play that game straight up because that you still need that to will, win that one to get you know that the probably lock on the officially seed. locks in the four seed. Yes. Yeah. They play Indiana the next uh, two nights later. Those two games are home. I would just play your normal lineups in those games. Once you go to it to Orlando uh, next Tuesday, next Thursday, I would start to stagger guys, and I continue to do so through the final home game on April 9th. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I wonder if a few of those guys you 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 just like say like hey you're not even making the trip. Uh, yeah, you, you, know. you might. I mean, if you have anybody that's like dinged Although up. Although that would kind of suck. Like, hey, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to Orlando. You're staying in Cleveland. Spending three days in Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Back uh, end of spring break time. Well, I mean, so, maybe. So, they're... yeah, like JB goes to Donovan Mitchell's like, hey, uh, yeah, we're not going to play you in these two games, so you can just go ahead and stay home. He's like, screw that. I'm coming. I don't care <laughs> if I'm not playing. I'm coming to Orlando. I'm going to Florida. No, I mean, that might be the best situation at all. I'd be like, yeah, you know, just. Hang out around Lake Buena Vista and Universal for a couple days. Like, I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. I would play everybody against the Knicks. Uh, I would wrap up the four seed, and then I would probably start giving guys rest. Yeah, I don't think you need to get too snarky with it because the last home game – well, the last game of the regular season was on April 9th, a week from Sunday – you're not going to play again after that until at least five days later. Yeah. So you're going to get time off before the first round because that's another aspect of the play-in tournament that you didn't have before. It used to be that the season would end on a Wednesday night and then you'd be playing the playoffs on Saturday. Yep. Now you have this like four or five-day stretch off where you don't play. Gives, so you, gives you another added, added in seven, it, incentive to finish in the top six. It does help, especially if you're a top two seed. Not that they need more help, but... You know the seven and eight seed have to continue to play. Yeah. You know it's MLB's gone to that format now too, where the you know, when we talk about that in a little bit here, where their top two seeds don't have to play the wild card round anymore. Yep. So it's uh, you know it's definitely an advantage, and you know, the NFL's actually gone slightly away from that, where now just the one seed gets by, the two seed has to play. Although the two the two first seven game is very, hardly ever competitive anyway. So yeah. yeah. But anyway, Cavs are the four seed in the East. They will almost certainly be the four seed in the East in the end. And only five teams in the NBA have a better record than the Cavaliers. That's Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, Memphis, and Denver. Depending on how it shakes out, the Cavs actually could outdo Memphis still. But, you know, that will depend. Right now, Memphis is a game ahead. But in either case, you are either elite or on the – very cusp of being in the NBA's elite by record. Maybe the experience part of it isn't there yet. We'll, we'll see if that matters in the postseason. But uh, mm-hmm. as we, as I've said, as you've said, the expectation is win that first round series and then look like you belong in the second round. Like don't get swept out four nil. Like that, that that's kind of the the goal, at yeah. least for the postseason. I believe anything beyond that would definitely be would be a bonus. Yeah, I would agree. Um, 
It, it feels like we're just waiting now. We're just waiting for the playoffs to start. Um, boy, I'll tell you what. One thing that's going to be very exciting is playing the Knicks in the garden in the playoffs. What an environment that's going to be. And I got to say, look, I fully expect the Cavs to beat the, the Knicks. Uh, I actually think they're going to they, they're gonna do it pretty easily. I don't think the Knicks are that good. Um, Five games. I'll give the Knicks six, mm. but... Clinching in the garden. I like that. Yeah. I'll give the Knicks two games, but... I don't think it's going to be a very stressful two. One of those, it's one of those things where I think the Cavs would, will win the first two at home, and then they'll go to the Garden in Game Three and get smacked, mm. and then uh, take your pick on Game Four and Five. Yeah, basically. Uh, you know what? Yeah, a six-game series actually probably would be stressful. I don't think the Knicks are going to win a game in Cleveland, so. I think that that series will be 2-2 going back to Cleveland for Game 5. Cavs win Game 5 and then close it out Game 6 in the Garden. Okay. <coughs> it does seem kind of hard to believe that the Knicks would get a game here, especially given that the fact that the Cavs are 30-8 and eight at home this season. Yeah. That's, I think, second best in the league overall. So yeah. That's, that's And remarkable. the atmosphere at, at the – like I was talking about the, the atmosphere at the Garden – the atmosphere at Rocky Mortgage Fieldhouse is going to be is is going to be second to none. I mean, the Romo Fijo is going to be bouncing for the playoffs. It's going to be kind of like how it was back in 2006, the first year that the Cavaliers made the playoffs since 1998. Yep. And you know, when you go that long without, it's just a different energy when you come back to it. Yeah. It's not going to be like how it was at the end of the LeBron 2.0 era, where like. People would go, but like winning was expected in the early rounds, and people weren't really boisterous about it anymore. And by the time you got to the later rounds, people were complaining about eight thirty and nine o'clock starts. Yep. You know, you're not gonna have people complaining about start times this year. I don't think. No, so. I don't think so. <clears throat> so uh, it's gonna be exciting, and uh, we still got a couple weeks away to go uh, for that, but uh, we're still gonna continue to talk about it. And uh, yeah, we're re- I'm really looking forward to this. So, Cavs are back in the playoffs, baby. So it'll all start April f- April fifteenth, I believe. Ah, the, the Ides of April. The Ides of April, tax day. So, ick. I well, ick indeed. Sorry I, for the I, reminder on that, folks. Hope you filed already. If not, ooh, it's I, getting close to the deadline. I say ick because uh, last year my uh, my tax guy or my tax guy who uh, had some health issues was getting some help uh, ha- getting his clients' taxes done. Mine, one of them, and they screwed up my Rita. So <laughs> Rita came a calling this oh. year. <laughs> so I am getting caught up on paying my Rita taxes. So uh, April fifteenth, I'm waiting until the absolute deadline. <laughs> And April 15th is going to be a painful day for me. Oh, man, I got to tell you. And th- that's the worst one, too. When Rita doesn't get her cut, it's oh, like she, oh, not, she only knows. You gotta, not only do you have to pay up, but you got to pay estimated for the part of this year that Starry started. And yep. it's just, yeah, that's the one that it seems like I never get a refund from. No. Federal and state, I get refunds all the time. But Rita, no. Yep. 
No, 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 no. Let's just say <laughs> April 15th, I'm basically paying two and a quarter years of Rita taxes. And it's so funky, too, because every single city, like, we, I could do a whole Better Know a Neighborhood just on the vagaries <laughs> of the regional income tax agency and all the different tax rates they have and <laughs> which cities are reciprocal and which ones aren't. It's just a lot of politicking and just, you know, general it's it's it, it makes it makes me miss living on Triscuit because when I lived on Triscuit I worked and I lived in Cleveland I didn't pay city tax right there was then there was no reciprocation of anything well, well you I, lived I did, and worked in the same city yeah I did pay city tax it's just it was the it was the tax that was taken out of my paycheck every week there wasn't that oh well Cleveland is two percent and Parma Heights three percent so you got to pay the one percent difference <laughs> all that BS yeah so anyway yeah how I yeah I was bad me for mentioning tax day yep. <laughs> But you know what's better than taxes, Dan? What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Tomorrow night, folks, if you want to stay up until 10, 1030, Gardos. In Seattle. It's going down. Opening up of the 2023 season. We have unfinished business. And the Gardos are out for blood. Oh, I'm ready. Whoa. Whoa. Man, I can't wait for baseball. <coughs> are we living in, by the way, are we living in a dreamland? Have the Guardians now gone two straight off-seasons? Yeah, I know. We are. Have they now gone two straight off-seasons handing out $100 million contracts? Have they done that? They have. Yes. <laughs> Last year, uh, Jose Ramirez, a six-year, seven-year, $120-some million-dollar extension. And then I believe it was Monday... The it was leaked that the Guardians and Andres Jimenez are in agreement on a seven-year, one hundred and six and a half million dollar extension that will keep Jimenez a Guardian until he is thirty-one years old. This is very reminiscent. Shout out to our friend Matt Steigerwald who made this point. This is very reminiscent to what the Indians were doing back in the 90s. Yeah. And they were locking up a whole bunch of guys to long-term. Early 90s. Albert Bell. Probably Ramirez, under market contracts. Yeah. And set up what was the best era of Indians baseball since the 1950s. And maybe even greater than, well, it's kind of a moot point because the 1950s and 1990s were very similar in that they went to multiple World Series but didn't bring home a title in either case. Yeah. But... You know, well, hey, they're opening up a window right now. They went to the World Series in 2016 where they're about to do that again. And hopefully this time they actually win the World Series. Yeah. But it is amazing to see this organization. Now, they're doing the smart and the prudent thing. Like we said, like in the 90s, they are – Locking up these young players, and Jose's not exactly young, but you catch, you get my drift. Um, to these, like you said, 
below Mar- like like if Andres Jimenez continues on the trajectory that he's on he's probably worth like a 250 million dollar contract not 106 but you look at it you're a young player you see that a team is offering you triple digits yeah like in the how can millions you, how can you turn that down yeah i mean i don't blame him but at think all about for it. signing that <clears throat> but you think about it so the Guardians have handed out two seven-year extensions. Uh, seven years folks. to Jose Ramirez and um, Andres Jimenez for a total of one hundred forty-seven point five million dollars, or two hundred forty-seven point five million dollars. Which sounds like a lot, but when you consider listen, going rate right in MLB. So that's 14 years because the two contracts divided by 247.5 million. Of course, if, you know, if I could do this in a timely manner. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be about 17.5 each. Okay, divided by 14. 17.67. Yeah. Okay. And then you take that. That's those two. Pl- those two players are getting essentially about seventeen million dollars a year. The guy you traded away for Andre Jimenez, Frankie Lindor, great player. Not saying anything bad about the player. Signed a ten-year, three hundred forty million dollar contract. You're getting those two players for half of what you're getting for Frankie Lindor. Lindor's getting paid $34.1 million a season. That's great business. That, that's great business. It's fantastic. Com- completely. It's fantastic. And you've locked up your two best, probably your two best non-pitching players on the roster for the next seven years. It's a good I, place to be. Yeah. I, there, nothing but applause for the for the Guardians organization for that one. Um I think it's fantastic. I think it sets a great tone for the season. And supposedly, the rumors are that they're not done uh, announcing uh, extensions. I wonder if before the game starts tomorrow that they're going to announce a couple more extensions. They mentioned uh, Tristan McKenzie, who unfortunately, we'll talk about it, uh, is going to start the season on the injured list. Um, Trevor Steffen, who was a great, great setup man in the bullpen for us last year. And uh, who's the other one? Uh, they've they've talked about Ahmed Rosario. But I'm not sure that's going to get done. I'm trying to think if there's one. Stephen Kwan was the other rumored one. I mean, if they if they come out tomorrow and it, it gets announced that Stephen Kwan signs an extension and uh, uh, Tristan McKenzie and you know Trevor Steffen all sign extensions, you know. I feel like last year, the Jose Ramirez extension, which was announced, I think, the day before the season started. Yep. Just started this season off on such a positive trajectory. And I think the Guardians are trying to bottle that same magic with with Jimenez and these other younger players. It's amazing you mentioned that because going into last season, the vibe was very negative. Yeah, around the Guardians, and I yeah. remember when they released the song that we just played, everybody was mocking it, how terrible it was, and how it was emblematic of an organization that wasn't trying. Yeah, the Jose Ramirez thing just just tur- flipped everything. that was that turned the narrative, and then the play on the field really turned a lot of things around. Yeah, 
And and it wasn't an immediate thing. You know, the Guardians didn't, like, jump out to a 20-5 and five start or no. anything like that. They, they were not in first place, I don't think, until, like, July or August, if that's, I recall. That's the Tito but, Francona MO. But, that's you know, that's Tito. it. You know, you just you take care of your business, stay in it the first half of the season, turn it on in the back half. And that's – we kept saying, like, when they – if I remember correctly, the Guardians went on a bit of a swoon in, in July where they – Lost some games to Detroit and some teams that they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have lost to. Yeah, and they people also were got... starting to get on their case. But we were like, now wait a minute, let's give them the benefit of the doubt here. This team has been money under Francona in August and September, pretty much every season. Yeah, and they got they got battered pretty good in the beginning of August uh, against uh, Baltimore and Seattle. Uh, but they, a difficult they, run of games there, yes. Yeah, but they rebounded, and, uh, you know, they won the division pretty much going away. The AL Central last year was so bad. Garbage. So bad. Complete garbage. And it's one of the things that has me maybe a little bit concerned for the Guardians this year is the the balancing of the schedule. We're not going to get to play the AL Central teams as much as we have in, in past years. Um, Which is good if you're a fan. But sure. is but is not great if you're talking from a competitive standpoint. Because yeah. now you're gonna have to play more games against the Yankees. Yeah. We will play and every, teams like that. We will play every single team in Major League Baseball this season. That's awesome, by the way. Yes. That's something that I've wanted them to do for half, years. Half we're gonna half of the NL will come to progressive field this year, the other half will come next year, and vice versa. So, you know, we will be going to uh half of NL parks and it will just flip flop next year, which I think is so cool. You know, we're going to be playing, uh, you know, we're going to be, you, it used to be, you had to wait to, if, if we were going to play that division, if we were going to play them in early play, you'd only play them once every three years this year. You know, I don't know the schedule, like if we're going to Colorado, but, but you know, we might be going to Coors field. We might be going to, uh, I don't even remember Dodger what, Stadium what, what or, the Diamondbacks call their stadium Chase, Chase nowadays. Field, yep. Chase Field. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we might see Jose Ramirez hit one into the pool. You know, yep. I, it's going to be so cool, and we're going to get. And it's going to be cool to see these matchups at Progressive Field. See a lot of these teams that, you know, they're teams that obviously all teams have now played at Progressive Field, like like interleague play. Like we've had enough years of interleague play where we've had every team at Progressive Field. But but when was the last time you remember like 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 the 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 Diamondbacks playing at Progressive Field or or uh, uh, off the top of my head I mean buh, 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 uh, <laughs> I remember the last time the Phillies played here or maybe it wasn't the, the last time but I think it was the Braves oh, when was the last time the Braves played at Progressive Field oh, last time I could think was a freaking ninety five World Series yeah it, it's been since then but you know <coughs> the reason I brought up the Phillies that was the year that. David DeLucci hurt his, hurt his hamstring on the way to first base, and it was the biggest case of addition by subtraction that I could <laughs> ever imagine. Hey, hey, hey! Lay off my <laughs> lay off my pies on, buddy. <laughs> I think that was 2007, if I recall. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, I am excited. Uh, I am excited. I I I. I don't remember the last probably 2007 the beginning of 2017 is the last time I was this excited about a baseball season and that's not to say that the Guardians have been bad like we've been good but like ever since 20 like 18 you've seen this you've seen this decline in payroll decline in payroll decline in payroll decline in payroll 
and somehow they kept staying steady because they have the great they have the best manager in all of baseball. But you sign you sign Jose Ramirez last year. You sign Jimenez this year. Uh, you might hear about a couple other extensions uh, this week. And by the way, uh, it's it's no coincidence that we now have a new minority owner again, and this guy's probably be going to become the majority owner in a couple years, and now is when you start seeing the Guardians start spending money and keeping their own players. You know, we talk about how Ramirez and Jimenez are below market contracts. They're still $100 million contracts, and this organization before last year to Jose Ramirez has never even come close to giving out a $100 million contract. No, they just, they just the wouldn't do it. The closest that they ever came was Edwin Encarnacion in 2017, three years, $60 million. This team has not never come, come close, and they doubled that with Jose Ramirez. And now they've done it again with Andres Jimenez. So absolutely fantastic job again by Mike Chernoff, Chris Antonetti, uh, to not only f- like, like, find, like getting Andres Jimenez in the Frankie Lindor trade. I mean, you got to remember, Frankie Lindor was in the last year of his contract. The Mets could have just been like, well, we'll just wait till he's a free agent, and then we'll just give him a $300 million contract. No. They made the trade with the Mets and basically got their middle infield for the for the next, you know, three, four years with Rosario and then now with Jimenez with the contract extension for one year of Frankie Lindor. Now, yeah, the Mets ended up ponying up and signing him to a long-term extension, but they turned one, uh, one year left on the contract with Frankie Lindor into those two players. And I just can't say enough how good great the guardians front offices and the one you know the one thing that i will give the dolans credit for um you know they've notoriously been cheapskates they've traded away young they've traded away uh all-stars and cy young award winners because they they didn't want to pay him the one thing i will say about the dolans is you can tell even with the budget restraints that members of this front office love working for this team. Mike Chernoff doesn't want to go anywhere. How many times do you think Chris Antonetti has gotten offers uh, to go run bigger market clubs with unlimited payrolls, and he doesn't leave? I would have thought after 2016 or 2017 that he would have been gone. Yeah. And the fact that he's still here is a testament to that. And you know what I think it is more than anything else? Again, small budget, can't really pay anybody. But I think the Dolans and <clears throat> the ownership of the Browns could probably learn a little something about this. I think the Dolans just, they put guys in place, and the Browns have been better about this over the last couple of years, but the Dolans put guys in place like Antonetti, Chernoff, before him, Shapiro, uh, and even going back to John Hart. They put them in their positions and they let them do their jobs. They don't meddle. They don't say, hey, uh, my grandson uh, drafted this guy in his fantasy league, and he's killing it. How come we're not trying to sign this guy? You know, stupid stuff like that that I'm sure goes on in other organizations. That is the key difference, perhaps the biggest difference, between how the Guardians have operated and how – the other teams in this town have operated over yeah. the last 10, you 15 will, years. You will never see a story come out in the Cleveland Plain Dealer about the Guardians 
asking a homeless guy now whether this not, that obviously this story is not real but asking a homeless guy uh uh what quarterback that they should draft in the draft you know you're never going to see that about the guardians yeah we have to deal with the annoyance of the fact that you know that we're never going to be involved in any free agent you know that you know we already know that this is going to be Shane Bieber's last season as a guardian cuz they're not going to be able to pay him no. He's going to get $30 million a year from somebody. Yeah. The, as much as the Guardians are starting <clears throat> to splash money now, they're still not going to do that. No. And, you know, I'm sure they've made contract offers to Shane Beaver, and he's probably quietly turned them down, and I can't blame him. You know, he's also a California kid, so I'm sure when the Dodgers come calling in the offseason, you know, the Guardians will probably pick up the phone, and they'll trade Shane Beaver, and they'll probably get some sort of – what we think on the surface is some sort of ho-hum uh, 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 package in return. And in the end, in three, four years, it turns into Andres Jimenez and, you know, the next the next great pitching uh, talent that the Guardians have gotten from somebody else. So I think in that regard, the Guardians have earned the trust or should have earned the trust of the fan base to where, hey – we know that we can't compete monetarily with some of the, you know, the big guns. So they'll make deals to recoup uh, assets, and most of the time, those assets end up helping us. So I, I just wanted to be out there and give the Dolans credit for that. So hopefully in the next two years, uh, we have this new owner, and, you know, maybe – I heard that this new owner of the Guardians is part of the ownership group with the uh, with Josh Harris trying to buy the uh, uh, the Commanders. So hmm. he he tried he they tried to buy Chelsea couldn't do that. They're putting up a six billion dollar <laughs> bid six for the Commanders. Bill. How in the world are the Commanders worth that? Honest to God, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, you talk about the Commanders being worth that. What could, what do you think the what do you think Jerry Jones could pull right now if you put the Cowboys up for sale? I mean the Cowboys are I'm guessing the the number one most valuable franchise in the league. Yeah. So they are the Yankees of the NFL. Which is which is kind of interesting because you'd figure to be like the Giants, or oh know, I'm so, sure they're going to be right there. Yeah. yeah. Or even the Rams, you yeah. know. But you know the brand is still important more so than market size. Yeah, because with the with the Rams you think. If you're going to buy the Rams, you got to buy that stadium too because that stadium is owned by the well, I guess unless unless if you wanted to keep the stadium and charge the Rams rent from the new owner. <laughs> maybe he could do that. But Kroenke owns that stadium. Kroenke just got a title in the NFL. He looks like he might have a title in the EPL this year too, so Yeah, there's still time. I mean, who knows? I mean, things are going pretty good for him right now. This is true. That there's still time. Um, so where do you see the Guardians uh, finishing in the AL Central this year? Do you think they go back-to-back? -back? Yeah. Not even a question. No? I don't see any internal competition, <clears throat> com significant internal competition coming from inside the AL Central. That, I mean, you could have a team or two get to 80, 85 wins, but I don't see any of those teams pushing like 90 wins or above. That would, that would be pretty unusual. If there was one team, I think it would probably be the White Sox. I do think that the White Sox are going to be better. Uh, Tony Russo is no longer there. 
and they had they, an unbelievable amount of injuries a, a year ago. A ton of injuries. Right from the jump, right at the start of the season, they were just crushed by the injury bug. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why they were never really a threat at any point. And ultimately, they actually – did they finish second in the division in the end? I mm, I think they yes. passed Minnesota at one point in September. Yes. So, I mean, if they hadn't been dealing with that, maybe they would have been further ahead early and it would have been much more difficult for the Guardians to make that late push like they did. Mm-hmm. But um, – yeah, I just feel like the shoe and the momentum is just too much on the other foot now. But could the White Sox make the playoffs? Yeah, maybe they could. Yeah, I agree with you. I see the Guardians, uh, the Guardians repeating. Um, the wild card, I think, is is the Twins. I just don't think the Twins have the pitching. Mm. Um, I don't either. So I, but speaking of pitching, I'm I'm concerned about the Guardians starting pitching. Is this because of Tristan McKenzie being out? This is exactly because of Tristan McKenzie being out. That's a big deal. Because I don't think it's as big of a deal in April and May as it would be in September. Well, here's the problem obviously. is I I just I just I worry because of his stature. You know, he's like six foot four and he's like hundred and sixty pounds. That is really, really string like string bean. Wow. Yeah, he's very is he really that very yes. Wow. He's very lean. And I worry about him being able to tax his body as much as, you know, he threw, I think he threw about 190 innings last year. Um, And that's because he, I, uh, I don't remember. I don't, I don't know why he didn't end up pitching 200 innings last year, but anyway, um, I worry about it because, you know, they're shutting him down for two weeks. This is going to be reevaluated in two weeks and that it could be up to eight weeks. Which is basically April and May. You're just not going to see him until Memorial Day. Yeah. But, like, that doesn't mean that he's just going to come back and then he may not just get hurt again. I just hope he's not one of these guys because of his stature and his motion and his delivery that – he has he's battling injuries for most of his career and you're already you know this isn't uh this isn't a ro- now the guardians rotation is good but this isn't a rotation like a few years ago where Shane Bieber was like your third starter you know so uh, he's officially listed at 175 is he? Yeah, that's that's still though. That's so lightweight. That's that's basically what I. How tall I, is he? He's six foot four, like you just yeah. said, and one seventy five. Last time I weighed myself was like one seventy eight, and I'm a good three inches shorter than he is. Yeah, and I am by no means putting on the pounds. So like, <laughs> yeah, for him to be a whole three inches taller and actually lesser weight is like whoa. Yeah, so I'm a little bit worried about that. Hopefully, it's just me, just me over worried. Um, you know, and, you know, expecting the worst. You know, you hope for the best, you expect the worst. So hopefully he's only out for a few weeks and he comes back and he's fine. But I hope for his sake he never has a situation in his career where somebody rushes the mound at him. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, But anyway, yeah, that is the only thing for me that is 
that is giving me a little bit of a pause for the Guardians this season. I think the lineup is going to be a million times better than it was last year. Last year was, was interesting for the Guardians. The Guardians seemed like a boomer bust team last year. They, either they would score a lot of runs or they would basically get shut out. They had a lot of games where they were either in the double digits or zero or one runs. At least throughout the whole first half of the season, it seemed like it was all that. Yeah. And then they did a better job. Like their low games were like more in the three, four range, and they were winning a lot of those games three, two, and yep. four, one by the end of the season. That was the main difference between how they did in the yep. last two months. I think the addition of Josh Bell is really going to help. I think it's going to help slot a lot of guys into more natural positions in the lineup. You know, you're not going to have to uh, hit Oscar Gonzalez cleanup anymore. You can drop him down to like sixth, or I think maybe he'll be a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah, I'm. I you can never really tell year to year about a bullpen, but I'm still very, very high on the Guardians bullpen. Um, they have a lot of of arms that throw hard. They have a lot of arms that they can match up with, with lineups. And then obviously, um, you know, you would say that it would it would be, be between him or Edwin Diaz, but because now Edwin Diaz is out for the year, they probably have the best closer in baseball in Emmanuel Classe. I don't think that's that's much of a debate. Um, and they have really good setup guys with Karen Check and Trevor Steffen. So um, everything is looking good. Let's just hope we can stay healthy. Hopefully uh, Tristan McKenzie's the only one, and he can get back soon, and uh, we can get off to a hot start. That's not really the M.O. of a Terry Francona team. Terry Francona teams are mo mostly second-half teams, but you know maybe this team gets off to a hot start and uh, you know puts the division away by, like, June, mm -hmm. you know? Gets like a 10-game lead in June. That'd be awesome, right? Yeah, We'd just that, be partying all summer. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you just you just go to a game. You can just be completely relaxed and just what is, enjoy um, your time at the ballpark, not be worried about standings or anything like that. Yeah. What um. What is the... What, what is the... Obviously, this is going to change, but what is the current weather for opening day? Next Friday. Next Friday. Looks uh, like right now it says 51 and no rain. So that's good. I'll, I'll take that all day. But it is, as of right now, it is supposed to rain the three days before that. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's like 40% chance or something. I mean, I, I, that tells me they don't really know if it's going to rain or not yet. If, yep. you're, if they're just throwing a 30 or 40% chance. But, you know. Or closer up in the forecast, like you see tomorrow, sunny Friday, ninety percent chance of rain. So like they 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 know, but it, springtime is a notoriously difficult time to to forecast here because you just have the most random wild swing. Even today, if you notice this, we had stretches today where it was sunny, and then we had other stretches where it was windy, cold, and it it was even. I swear it was snowing at one point today as well. So it's that's just the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're going down to the ballpark on April, was that April seventh? I'm trying to think. April seventh, yeah, yeah, next Friday, um, or any of those early games in April, <laughs> just be prepared. Yeah, be prepared for anything. I wanted, I wanted to go to the, I wanted to go down to the ballpark for my birthday, but we start a road trip on my birthday. Oh, and I was like, oh well, I'll just go the day before. The day before is travel day. No. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, you know, whatever. Um. 
But yeah, so we are super excited for the Guardians. That is for darn sure. We um, certainly are. And speaking of excitement, boy, did we have some excitement on the hardwood in the NCAA tournament this past last few days. This has been the wildest tournament I can ever remember. And maybe the last two rounds didn't match the ridiculousness of round one and two. But the bottom line is this. You have a four seed, two five seeds, and a nine. Nine? I'm sorry, did you say nine? You have a nine seed that has crashed the party. In fact, three of these teams, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, not UConn, but um, Miami, Miami, have all all for the Final Four for the first time. Have right? Never made the Final Four previously. Three of them are here for the first time. Former BG coach Jim Larinaga making the Final Four for the second Jimmy time. Jimmy L. Man, that did it with George Mason way back. He in now 2006. joins. He now joins a exclusive class of coaches that have taken multiple teams to the Final Four. That yeah, there, has, there can't be that many. I mean, what Rick Pitino? Because you got to um, think about it. Let's see here. Um, okay, John Calipari. Yeah. Uh, Roy Williams. I mean, yep. Bill Self, I think. Bill Self, I think. Had, uh, did he ever take anyone other than Kansas? I don't know. Hmm. Illinois, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't. He know. He might have. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. There, there's not that many of them out there, and you know, you got. He definitely is in in, in an elite group now, and he is two wins away from a national championship with Miami, which would be remarkable only to be surpassed if somehow his, the team from just up the road in Boca Raton, Florida, yeah. somehow pulls this thing out. I mean, that would be crazy. I don't, I don't think a seed higher than eight has ever won this thing. So that would be a first. Oh, absolutely. If FAU were, because Villanova, their first title in 1985 was as an eight seed. More recently, UConn was a seven when they beat Butler in 2011. The highest he'd ever get to a Final Four was George Mason, right? Oh, to they make were a Final a, Four, they, yeah, were 11. they were an 11. Two teams have done it. George Mason and Virginia Commonwealth were both 11s. Oh, that's right. Virginia oh, wait. What about Loyola? And Loyola was also the same seed, I believe. Were they an 11? I think so. Okay. That's the Fighting Sister Jeans, right? Yes. And yeah. they won like their first four games of the tournament all on buzzer beaters. Yeah. Unbelievable. That was one of the most... Just charmed runs you've ever just you've ever throwing seen. up a bunch of hail sister jeans, you know. So, but uh, I have a theory about how this thing's gonna go, though. Yeah, and it's not gonna be nearly as dramatic as the earlier rounds or even the round of sixteen. I think that it's gonna be pretty much all chalk from here. UConn was absolutely just straight up dominant in their last few games. They pounded Arkansas by 23, and then they just beat the snot out of Gonzaga. They've been the best team in the tournament. I, I, I you know, and given this fact that none of the blue bloods are there, and this is all other first time teams, I have a very hard time believing that UConn's not going to just boss this thing. I mean, would, UConn's a blue blood. Would you consider UConn a blue blood? Yeah, yes, I, I would consider. And now they haven't necessarily been in recent years, and maybe they don't have the. Yeah. humongous illustrious history of like a duke or a north carolina or no Kansas. i mean but I mean, they've yeah. won multiple national championships three true. of them i believe true so yeah that qualifies them as a blue blood i think yeah so yeah when you have just one team that has the tournament pedigree still up now granted if you've won four games already there's nothing that says you couldn't win the next two and yeah. win the whole thing i do tend but to agree with you i, I, I it's hard to it just seems win. like yeah it just seems like uconn's the team right now 
Now, because both of us said this, and most likely I'll put a small wager on UConn to win, I guarantee you they're going to lose to Miami. Hopefully you'll jinx it and Jim L. will you know, get his natty. That would, that would be that'll awesome. That would be awesome, yeah. Yeah, that would <laughs> I mean, be pretty sweet. This is BGSU one day after all, which, you know, for those that don't know, this is our, like, major day of Bowling Green State University. They do this uh, drive every year around this time, which is basically a big donation event. And oddly enough, BG's women's basketball team was playing in the final four of the WNIT tonight. They were on a big-time run where they took out, you know, some really good teams, uh, Wisconsin, Green Bay, Memphis, Florida. They just thrashed by 17 in the last round. And unfortunately, all things have to come to an end. They didn't beat Columbia tonight, so they're out of the tournament. But yep. um, this was a very celebratory day out at our alma mater. Uh, I'm sure that even though some people are disappointed tonight, it was a heck of a run, and it was a heck of a donation drive today. I, I think they're into the millions now that they've raised just today alone. So. Um, just some great stuff going on out there. Um, yeah. So, uh, before we end tonight's episode, I know Steve, you've got a major announcement to make. So I did post this on Facebook and Instagram a few days ago, and I'm going to definitely make another post about it on Twitter uh, just right after this. I, this, so this story goes back three years. 2020, I was working at an airplane, an aircraft manufacturer on the northeast side of town, actually in Euclid. And this was when I was there. This was in March of 2020. Coronavirus was taking its miserable hold on the world, and aviation basically just stopped. Uh, the, I think the passenger statistics out of Hopkins from March to April that year was like down like. 97% month over month. It was just something crazy ridiculous. And I had I went from being really busy on lots of projects to having absolutely nothing to do. I knew it was coming. I got laid off at the end of that month. Mm-hmm. And so the next few months I was just sitting home and every single day in April 2020, I, I really hope this does not happen this year. Every day in April 2020, it was rainy, it was cold, it was just a bit... January of that year was fine. It was like we were getting weather like that, but it was like highs in the 40s every day, which for January is good. But for April, that's very bad. And I was getting beyond sick and tired of just sitting around doing nothing. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. There was nothing to do outside. There was nowhere to go. They were telling you to stay home. There was no job prospects at the time whatsoever. So I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do with myself? And I came up with this great idea. Okay, why don't I write my first novel? I had been doing other you know, work like video game fan fiction and stuff like that for years. And I was like, well, why can't I do an original work of my own? Well, then I had to come up with an idea. And I just literally just thought about it and thought about it for days and days. And by the end of that terrible month, I was able to come up with something. And over the next three months, I put it down on paper. And by July, uh, while I was on the beaches of Sea Isle City, New Jersey, well, actually, that year I wasn't at Sea Isle City because I didn't get to go to the beach that year. But ordinarily, that's where I'd be. I got to a point where this thing was a finished product. And by early 2021, I was actually shopping around this novel with various publishing companies to see if I could get this thing professionally published. I got no takers. 
And so I did the somewhat logical thing was I went on to start on the second book in what was eventually going to be a trilogy. I never finished that second book. I got involved in lift driving. I got involved in, you know, trying to get the house ready for a newborn baby and, and all this other stuff. And I, I never finished book two. And then the whole thing just kind of sat for a while. I was kind of dispirited by it. I was working two jobs. I didn't really have the time or energy to really to invest into it. But by now it's gotten to a point where I was like, okay, if nobody's going to publish this thing, why can't I just do it myself? How come I can't just go on to like Amazon and, and, and just do it there? Well, that's what I've done. This novel of mine, which is titled Shatteru, X-A-T-E-R-U, this is a book about several, there are many different topics that come up within this novel, but it's mostly about two things. It's a coming-of-age story for the protagonist, and it's about, there, there's a lot of science in it, and there's government conspiracy mm. as well. And there's a bit of a romance angle as well. So it's it's a story that a lot of people can relate to. It's it's somebody if you like romance novels, you'll like that part of it. If you're really into science, there's a lot of um, chemistry and um, astronomy concepts that that particularly come into this thing. And once you get to the, there, there's a lot of frankly there by the second half of the book, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of you know mafia going on. So there's. It's a book that really hits a lot of different things. Maybe that's why one of the publishing companies didn't want to touch it. They they couldn't just fit it into one little box. And as a result, they didn't know what to do with it, and they were like, thanks, but no thanks. Well, the good news is, is that this novel, Shatteroo, is going to be available on Amazon Direct Kindle Publishing this Friday, March 31st. It goes live. Nice. Yep. Just... Probably when you're listening to this, it'll probably be either a day away or it will be live on Kindle Direct Publishing. What's the meaning of the title? Shatteru is, okay, so I'll just tease that one of the, there's basically two rival gangs in this novel. One is based in Russia and the other is based in Mexico. And when I went to the Riviera Maya, it, I went in Mexico. I went there three times. This is in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Mm-hmm. This is uh, south of Cancun, like down by Playa del Carmen and Tulum. There are three theme parks along that coastal area. One is a aquatic institute called Shelha. One is a like zipline and cave spelunking park called Explore. And the third is like a natural wildlife habitat with a bunch of cenotes and jungle areas called Excoret. And if you've been to any of these places, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, So these three, that they all start with the letter X, Excoret, Explore, and Shelha. That's where I got the inspiration for the name Shatteru, to have it start with an X. Okay. You know, in honor of the Riviera Maya in Mexico and where this, this one gang happens to be from. So that's... And I won't reveal anything more at this point, but I t- this this novel it's very you can get it downloaded on any uh, device if you have Amazon Prime you have d- uh, direct access to Kindle Direct Publishing so you can just get it. Uh, it'll be live again first thing on uh, Friday March thirty first. It's very reasonably priced. It's only four ninety nine, so you know it's it's less than you would have to pay for a sandwich or even a coffee nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know stupid inflation. So. <laughs> you know, by all means, and and it was 
it was 160 pages word document. It's on a Kindle device. It's about 319 pages. So it's not outrageously long or anything like that. I'm not going JK Rowling on you here. So it's something that I promise is going to be entertaining and something that's going to make you think a bit. That's what I'll say. So Interesting. Well, very cool. Yeah. Very You got to be excited. Yes. Very excited to see how this goes. I don't know if I'm going to sell 10 books or 10,000. I have absolutely no clue. Yeah. So this, this is going to be very fascinating to see how this goes. I would love to get your guys' feedback. Hit me up on Twitter at Stiffs McGee. Hit me up on my Instagram page at Stefano Steven. I'm, we, you know, or even on Facebook, if we're Facebook friends, I would absolutely love to get your feedback. Also, there's a reviews page on Kindle Direct uh, as well. So super excited Very about cool. this project and um, happy to share this work with you all finally through almost three years after, to the day from when I started it. So That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll go out and buy the book. It's only four ninety nine. So if nothing else, just go spend five bucks on the book. So even less uh, than the WWE network was back in the day. I yeah. can't even use the 9.99 pitch. It's yeah, not, right. It's not even it's only half as much as that. Yeah. So uh go on Amazon and uh buy Shatteroo. So that is going to do it for us on this episode of Living Off the Land, episode 252. We appreciate you guys listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Uh it means the world. Um, you can follow us on social media at Stiffs McGee at Daniel J Ford, and you can follow the show at the L O T L podcast. We will be back next week. Uh, we will be uh, doing a. We will be another week closer to the NBA playoffs. We will be uh, a handful of games into the MLB season, and we will have a national champion in college basketball. So. And hopefully we won't have a snowstorm before then. Oh, God. You know, it was warm today, early today. It was snowing at like 3 o'clock this afternoon. It was just a total slap to the face. Just And then it got warm again. <laughs> yeah, right. God. Anyway. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week, guys. See ya. Bye.